to the UIAAA Connection podcast. GoFan and VNN are proud to be the exclusive sponsor of the UIAAA Connection. Now a combined company, GoFan and VNN provide a seamless integration for digital ticketing and athletic websites. Direct your fans to one place for all your athletic events, communications, and tickets to home and away games. Thank you to GoFan and VNN for their exclusive sponsorship of the UIAAA Connection. Welcome back to another edition of the UIAAA Connection. I'm your host, Mark Hutch Hunter. Today we have as our special guest, Ray Moore, Certified Master Athletic Administrator and the Conference Program Chair of the California State Athletic Directors Association. Welcome to the program, Ray. Hutch, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Let's have you begin by sharing with our audience here in Utah and now across the world where you grew up, where you went to college, first job, etc. Well, I grew up as an Air Force brat, so uh, we traveled around with our family about every three years and finally um, settled in uh, Lompoc at Vandenberg Air Force Base and then uh, went to high school there and uh, Went to uh, start off at Claremont Men's College then, and then uh, uh, went to Hancock, uh, Allen Hancock Community College. They were called junior colleges back then. This is in the Stone Age. <laughs> yes. And uh, uh, and then uh, finished up at Cal State Fullerton, where I played uh, football and baseball. You played both. I have an yes. interesting story. Uh, tell me when you graduated from there, if I dare ask. Graduated in 1973. Okay. The reason I ask is I had uh, my father's sister lived, I want to say, maybe three quarters of a mile from the campus. Okay. And I can remember when I was in junior high, maybe a sophomore in high school. So we're down there maybe, I want to say, July, mid-July. And the Rams oh, yeah. used to have their practice. As, and so we'd go up there and they, they would have these barriers around the outside of the fence. But there was about a foot underneath it. And so, of course, you'd lay down so you could see the Rams, Roman Gabriel. That dates me. And then they'd have a guy in a cart come by and kick you off. And I'm thinking to myself, does he think I work for the Packers? I'm like 16 years old. I mean, that was. Funny. I know what you mean. We used to get the chance to work those camps uh, as as the players, and that'll date you even more because Tommy Prothrow was the head coach at that time. Really, that's yes. incredible. Yeah, <laughs> brings back memories for old guys like you and me. Let's have you talk for a minute about being an Air Force brat. You probably lived well all over. So, did you have a chance to? at least play some little league baseball, some football, basketball, depending on the time of year you moved and where, where your dad was uh, TD-wide to? <laughs> yeah, you know, we did. Um, we spent three years in England. And at that time, um, we were lucky enough to go uh, Little League All-Stars. We were one game away from going to Williamsport. Oh, we were, wow. Uh, we were in Wiesbaden, Germany. And then those years, it was one loss and you're out. And the Wiesbaden team was the team that beat us. And then they went to the, the World Series. The sad thing was both of our teams had to get shots to come back. You know, all the different shots you have to, 
to get back in the States. So we had to get the shots too, and we didn't win. So we just had so, sore arms after we got yeah, done. <laughs> you had the shots and you didn't get a go. That's incredible. That's right. I, have, I have never had someone on the podcast that was one game away from pay, playing in the Little League World Series. So that is incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Let's have sure. you talk for a minute now about, because you've lived all over the world, talk about some of the mentors that had an influence on your life and molded you to where you are now. Well, I think everybody that you probably interviewed had talked about their parents. So my parents were very supportive and, uh, you know, they wanted me to be involved in as many things as I could, and especially school-wide. So when I got to high school, you know, being involved in, uh, in sports, actually I was a trumpet player for a long time and then tried out for the high school band. Um, we started a brand new high school when I was uh, getting into high school and the band director told me that it'd be better for me to play football than it would be in the band. <laughs> so I, I understood that, that, the you know, me mediocre trumpet players are a dime a dozen, you know, um, decent to mediocre offensive linemen are a rare commodity. So that helped me. And I got involved with the, the coaches at our school. And as I said, we started a brand new high school, which is something special. And uh, if any, I was always told if you have a chance in your teaching career, be part of starting a brand new school, you know, and I had a chance to do it as a student. And then my last 13 years as an athletic director, I got a chance to open a brand new school. So I kind of uh, went full circle on that. So, um, you know, the coaches I coach with uh, principals, I'm sure that, uh, you know, athletic directors talk about their great principals and superintendents. I was lucky enough to have a number of them and, uh, it was uh, it was a learning experience, but it was it was one of those things that was a joy to come to work. Let me ask a follow up: Which school uh, did you get to open? Because you and I go pretty far back, and I think when I met you years and years ago, you may have still been at Diamond Bar. So it was probably after that. I'm guessing it was. Yeah, I spent 13 years at Diamond Bar, great years, and then had a chance to open Vista Murrieta High School. And Vista Murrieta is out in the Temecula Murrieta area. And uh, it's a, gr a tremendously uh, a growing area since uh, we opened in 2003. And I was there from 2003 to 2015. At that time, from the Murrieta area to Palm Springs, uh, 27 comprehensive high schools opened up in that corridor. Really? Yeah. So it was unbelievable. Huh. Well, let's have you, uh, let me ask another follow-up. So talk about, because I have not had a whole lot of people that have opened high schools. I know myself opened a new high school, but it, it was the new school, but it was still Jordan High. We just moved buildings. Right. It wasn't open up a brand new, new school. So talk about some of the, the challenges that come along with that. Well, for me, the biggest challenge was um, moving from a great job that I had, but coming in to help open a brand new school, I researched who was going to be the principal. I researched the district, the principal, and I researched his philosophy. And he was one of those guys that understood how important coaching was in the, in the concept of creating a great, and we call it a world-class high school. You know, that was our goal, to be world-class. And so he allowed me to go out and recruit the best coaches in, in really uh, our state and the uh, surrounding states. So it was, uh, it was fun in that respect. The drawback is uh, 
if you're creating a new school, if you mess it up, you only have one person to blame and that's yourself. <laughs> so you, you take it very, very seriously. You know, you can't rely, oh, that's how they did it back then. They didn't have it back then in our in in this concept. And uh, we were lucky. The first day of school, we anticipated 600 kids and 1,300 showed up at the doors. Oh, my. So uh, all these kids wanted to take advantage of a new opportunity. And it was uh, uh, really a, a great uh, start. And it was a great 13 years in my in my uh, experience. What was your mascot? The Bronco. Okay, so let me ask you this, because I've had a little bit of experience with this and seen some other schools. Talk about either the difficulty or the ease at which a new school then picks a mascot that is bought into by the community or fought by the community. Talk about how that was for you. Well, we didn't have to choose that. Our school board and superintendent chose a mascot before the school ever broke ground. So it was, uh, it, it, we never worried about that. The school colors were um, navy blue. What we found is there's about 20 different navy blues. Exactly. And, you know, and then Vegas gold. Now, Vegas gold, there's a few different Vegas golds, but it's kind of right. an old gold look and white. So navy blue, Vegas gold and white. You know, then it was up to us to design the, or figure out what we do for a varsity letter, a varsity jacket, those types of things. And our first year, we allowed the kids to, um, and we put together a contest where they designed the letter. And one of our cross-country girls um, designed the varsity letter. And then uh, the jacket, we had the whole the whole campus vote on it. And that was the uh, the one that they chose. We had about 10 or 15 different designs. And then the jacket, same way, you know, and they still have it to that day. So it's, uh, t you know, they're, they just passed their 20th year. So uh, things worked out for us. You're a wise man. Let me commend you on that because there's there's sometimes schools do that without the student buy-in. And I think that that's a huge, huge difference. And I know some of the schools here in Utah, the board has changed their mascot or because they wanted to be politically correct or they didn't want this mascot. And so they decided on another one. And sometimes the community doesn't like it. And sometimes it, they do like it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I understand. And it was, it just seemed to go. Okay. I understand the second choice for a mascot was rattlers. So uh, okay. uh, we like the Broncos pretty well. Well, that's awesome. Let me ask you a little personal question, Ray. What's your biggest failure or disappointment in life, and what did you learn from it? Oh, boy. Well, I, I'm sure I've had a lot of disappointments and failures. I think uh, professionally, um, you know, I wanted to be a little more successful as a head coach. And I wasn't bad. I was a, I was a decent head coach, I felt. But I wasn't that that type of head coach that would take it to the next level. Now, as a, when I became an athletic director, you know, I knew that about myself, and I could I could uh, I think pick out the head coaches that had that that special something, and I was lucky in that respect. So I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, you know, it's I've got a lot of drawbacks. You could ask my wife; she'll tell you. 
<laughs> That's an honest answer. And, and of course, don't we all? Let me ask you about the job of athletic administrator and how it's changed from when you first were an AD. And that's got to be what, over 30 years ago? Oh, yeah. To well, probably much, 40 now. Yeah. So, how, yeah, how is exactly. it different from how is it different from when you started back in the Stone Age with me and, and the way it is now? Well, I think back then, this is, you know, in the 70s and early 80s, the athletic director's job was make sure you got officials for your contest and make sure you got the right teams at the site. Don't have the varsity team passing a JV team, you know, mm -hmm. from the other school. Um, really, that was it. Make sure you pay the officials, you know, have good relations, coach the coaches a little bit, but, uh, you know, help with schedules. And that was about it. Most uh, ADs in California, at least, were the ones that taught four periods. Uh, they usually were a head coach in one sport. They may help in another sport. And they got a period off for their conference period as a teacher. And then they got one extra period as the AD. And that was it. And so compare that to now with uh, how much that has changed. Well, I... Uh, I think it's said best, uh, we had a speaker at our conference this past year, and he made the term, he said, athletic director, AD stands for all duties, all day. <laughs> and that's the theme, by the way, of our 2024 conference next year. The athletic director's job has become such a, uh, such a demanding position that, uh, you know, principals want a 24-hour AD. When something goes awry or there's an issue, they want that athletic director on the spot. And I think it's uh, it can wear athletic directors out. Technically speaking, I think it's gone way beyond me. It's gone to, you know, warp speed. It's uh, There's so many technical things, the social impact, you know, social media, the things you deal with, with, you know, we always had parent issues, and it was always 2% of the parents. You know, I try right. to get our coaches to talk about, you got to hear the silent 98%. You know, I think it's uh, with travel ball and all kinds of different outside teams, it's become even more of a challenge for athletic directors. And, and it wears a lot of them out quickly. Let me ask you this. You were an 80 at two high schools or three high schools, or was it even four? Three. So just talk for a moment about uh, the difference in the three high schools, uh, the different time in your career about being an AD at the three schools. Obviously, at your last school, you opened it up and you've had all that experience. So that maybe was much easier for you. But talk about that first place you were and then talk about your time at Diamond Bar. Yeah. The first place was at Loera High School. It's spelled L-O-A-R-A. And Loera High School is a combination of names, and it's in Anaheim. It's the closest high school to the, the Disneyland campus. So um, it's it's interesting because people say, well, Disneyland, you know, it's uh, you know, a, a clientele that's basically the same. But now we had a, a huge minority um, clientele of kids and uh, had great mixture. And it was one of those things where, I was uh, the head baseball coach, varsity assistant football coach, and the athletic director. And I was just getting my feet wet. 
my first year as an athletic director, I felt like I was the oh, the Dutch boy with my thumb in the dike of paperwork. And if I let it go, <laughs> it would just roll over me. So, you know, and I remember um, asking an old AD at a, a national, uh, at the NIAAA conference, I said, how do you do this? And he, he just looked at me and said, son, there are some days just close the door. The same stuff will be there tomorrow. And it made a it made a huge impact on what I was doing. So I was there um, seven years and enjoyed it. And then was recruited to come to Diamond Bar because they had never really had a true athletic director before. So I stepped in and with a great principal, and he let me run with the job and and just create what I wanted to do. Um, we were very fortunate to have some great athletes. Um, someone you would know Keith Van Horn was a sophomore when I yes, started yes. Keith was one of the best young men I've ever been around we also have Jim Edmonds who was a center fielder for the um the Cardinals right the, um Anaheim Angels and, and now is retired and uh we had some really good teams great players but good human beings so I was there for 13 years and we had a group of coaches that were just stellar. And then um, Vista Murrieta was going to open. And it was one of those places where in California, it was one of the few places you could buy a house for a decent amount of money and people were moving out there. So I wanted to get a chance to open that new school. And it was a great opportunity for me. And I felt like as a chronologically gifted we won't say old but i got chronologically <laughs> gifted so there was a gap between you know me and the kids i was coaching and i felt like that gap did not equate well to my instruction and it wasn't their fault it wasn't my fault it was just you know they'd look at me and they're like, you know did you really do all this stuff did you play you know yeah, so, they looked at you and they said What's this old guy doing? Yeah, yeah. So my goal was to to finish up as an athletic director in an administrative position, which was uh, which was great for our family. So that's uh, coming into to new school and having that experience really helped me because I was I had seen a lot of things and been involved a lot, so I could uh, I felt like I could help coach the coaches. Excellent. Hopefully you'll be impressed with my Anaheim geography. I'm going to ask you, Deb's aunt, her mother's okay. sister, lived, I want to say, like you'd go outside of her house and she was on the 40-yard 40 line, 40 line at Servite High School, which has got to be fairly close to where you were. So Pretty close, yeah. Close right was. by it, it's on La Palma. A couple of miles away. Yeah, La Palma and Euclid is about where that was. But uh, yeah, it was a few miles away. And but, they're uh, uh, yeah. perennially a big powerhouse, or at least off and on have been in California. If still I'm are, mistaken. still are. They're in the Trinity League right now with uh, it's Servite, Modern Day, St. John Bosco, Bosco, sure, um, Santa Margarita, and Jay Sarah. And Orange and Lutheran is in there too. So wow. uh, that is the world. A, that is a tough league. Let's have you talk for a minute, Ray, about your journey with the CSADA and the NIAAA, how you became involved in the California Association. And then, of course, you've been involved nationally for quite some time. I'll turn it over to you. Okay. Well, one of my mentors, really at our rival high school when I was at La Huera, 
uh, Tom Danley was at, at Catella High School at the time, and Tom called me over, and um, as I said, I was getting my feet wet as an AD and didn't know much, and we sat down many times, and he'd talk about the role of an AD and what you should do. And, and he mentioned, I said, we want you involved in the state athletic director association and you need to get involved in the national. And that first year I was an AD, <clears throat> we had uh, the first NIAAA conference in Anaheim. So with Tom being my mentor, and if you know Tom Danley at all, a lot of people do, um, to, to work with Tom is to work for Tom. So mm -hmm. I became, you know, a, a one of the the liaison people working with the NIAAA to make sure the conference went off. And we had it uh, at the, uh, I think, the Anaheim Marriott is where the where the uh, main hotel was. And then we had it at the convention center right next door. So I got involved in that and then just stayed involved in both organizations. Um was served on a couple committees at the NIAAA level and uh, enjoyed it and uh, met a lot of great people. Um, in fact, you were always on a different committee, you know, but I was always <laughs> yes. seemed to be, I always seemed to be on the same committee as Rich Kemper from uh, uh, Virginia. Virginia, sure. Yeah. And uh, Rich was kind of a guiding force and, and we uh, had a lot of great conversations and I, I stole a lot of information from him and the other people I knew. And then, so I've been involved in both organizations for almost, well, well over 40 years now. And when I retired, um, they asked me to uh, stay on as the conference program chair because my mentor, Tom Danley, was retiring from that position. So mm -hmm. I've been involved in that and, uh, you know, getting speakers for the annual conference in April and trying to, what I'm trying to do is do as good a job as Tom did during his time. Then that brings us to our next question, which is I wanted to talk to you specifically about being the program chair because California is obviously much bigger than Utah. So they, they have, that's a separate job just for you because your conference is bigger. And I know in our state, that's one of my duties as the executive director, but I want you to talk to our audience because I'm not sure in Utah and across the nation and the world, Everyone quite understands what it's like to put on a conference from scratch. Well, it's uh, it's really a challenge. I don't do the conference manager job. You have to understand in California, we have um, nine executive board members, all volunteers. Nobody gets any uh, remuneration or stipends or anything. We have our executive secretary, and you've met Susan Trigstead. Right. Susan is the one that gets paid because she does a lot of the a lot of the stuff. We have our conferences planned out and location five years ahead and we try to bounce between southern area and northern southern and northern and it's uh california northern, is a different northern a including different place. northern including reno california but i'll let you continue that's right well <laughs> let me speak to that uh it's very expensive in northern california to have a conference anywhere so many of our organizations go to reno because it's conference friendly so not only do the athletic directors go there, so do the state activities director, so do the state principals and the state superintendents. So it's uh, we we take over the, the the city for a while, you know, and uh, it's economically feasible for our group. Um, in Southern California, we usually usually go to San Diego, but my job specifically 
is I get the keynote speakers, which we normally have four. Um, one is our state uh, executive director. So really we get three other speakers, excuse me, other speakers. And we have a very limited budget for that. We try to usually, um, it's through relationships, et cetera, that we get these, uh, get right. contacts with them, as you know. And I usually ask them, I got this from Tom Danley, is, of course you believe in the concept of free speech. And they say, oh, absolutely. I said, good, that's what you're speaking for. <laughs> and uh, it's a little more than that, but we try to help them out. But we do have a limited sure. budget. And then we have normally 16 to 18 workshops. So our, uh, our speakers in the workshops are usually uh, working athletic directors that we get from around the state. And we bring them in to share information. You know, it's, it's like a coaching clinic. And mm -hmm. that's how we liken it to as a coaching clinic. We try to get some motivational speakers for our keynotes. Um, and we, we try to go, uh, we do LTC classes uh, before the conference starts, have a golf tournament. And then we go from really Wednesday th through Sunday, midday. And then we, we go back home. Yeah, and that's incredible. I think I've been, I think I've been to two California conferences. One in Palm Springs, yes, and and I think the other one was in in Reno, California. If there my you go. memory serves me right, so that's incredible. I want you to talk another follow up because California is such a. I don't want to say weird. I want to say a different animal because, correct me if I'm wrong. There's ten sections, or is there twelve in California? 10 sections. It's a confederation. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's it, like having 10 yeah. separate state associations. Correct. All under one umbrella. And I, because I, I knew Roger pretty well when I know there's a different person in there now. Yeah. But it's like, I think where you were down in Southern Cal, there's what, over 500 schools in one section. And then maybe right. a section up in Oakland that's got 20 or less. I mean, it's just, Talk about that, how tough that is, and everyone being their own entity, how that's a little different than just a regular state association. Well, we're kind of on the outskirts. So our organization is not really involved with all the sections, but the, the, the section commissioners range uh, in our area, you said Southern section is 615 high schools. That doesn't include, they, it runs from Santa Barbara in the north to Fallbrook in the south, just above Fallbrook. So Temecula is the borderline. There's 615 high schools there. Does not include San Diego section, which is about 170 high schools. Does not include the Los Angeles section, which is about 110. And then it, it goes all the way to the, the Oregon border. And you were right, the Oakland-San Francisco section, as uh, last I saw, was 18 schools. They're their own entity. And uh, when they meet, all the commissioners meet, and they're, they're governed um, under the blanket umbrella of the California Interscholastic Federation at the state level. And Ron Nachetti is our new executive director. He took Roger right. Blake's place. And Ron is, he's just, he's a former athletic director which tells you a lot and, and is really personable. And they deal with our state issues and our state legislature, which is a challenge. And the 
the AD, the CSADA really, it's like you're just one state, so it's really not a sectional thing like it is. Correct. We do have um, representation at the state level and at the at each section level. We have a, a representative that serves on our board that works with each section. But we're an entity that supports the athletic directors uh, throughout the state. And there are over 1,600 high schools in the state. That's incredible. Let me have you talk for a minute, Ray, about the importance of mentorship. And I know you've mentioned your couple of mentors a couple of times. So speak about how important that role of a mentor is, particularly to our new ADs in Utah, California, and everywhere. Well, you, I think you have to have a mentor. But a lot of athletic directors, I'm not sure they go out and seek mentors, which they should. Think back to when we were coaching. You know, you went to every coaching clinic, and yeah, if you were like me, uh, I was taught by good head coaches, you go with a list of questions that you want to get asked. Right. And you don't have to listen to the speakers. You go find the, the guys that do it well. You know, um, when I was coaching football, um, Vince Ferragamo, you remember the, the quarterback for the I Rams. I do remember, yes. Well, his brother Chris was a head coach at Banning High School. And if you wanted to do something on the beer option, you know, you went to Chris. And so I'd go and we'd have lunch together and I'd find the people that were doing things. As an athletic director, especially young athletic director, I would ask questions. And I would encourage new athletic directors now, make sure you have a list of questions. You're not showing how much you don't know. You're showing how much you want to learn and how they handle things in certain situations or, or certain um, procedures, it may work for them. It might not work for you, but you might be able to tweak it. So it works in your situation. So that's excellent. Very good. What's the favorite? Well, it's a two part question. Yeah. What's the fa favorite part of your job now in retirement, working for the CSADA and what was the favorite part of your job as a working AD? Well, my favorite part now is the people I work with. You know, we have a, a great board, nine, nine members of the executive committee, but we have 30 that are volunteers. And those other 21 are working athletic directors. So to, to meet them, to find out, get the, I guess, the finger on the pulse of what an athletic director goes through now, it's fun for me. And in retirement, as you know, you can do what you want to. And this is mm -hmm. what I want to do. And I, I certainly enjoy it. And then to go out and find the speakers, um, I've been lucky that, uh, you know, I do a lot of reading. I'm not sure anybody, a lot of people do that anymore. But when I read a book, I'll go and find that author, say, would you like to speak? And uh, we've been lucky to have some great speakers. Um, I don't know if you know who Gary Adams is. He was a UCLA baseball coach for many years. He was Good one day. of our, no, no yeah, yeah. he's one of our very best. And uh, he wrote a book called Conversations with Coach Wooden, because after John Wooden retired at UCLA, Gary and John, Coach Wooden shared an office for 10 years. Wow. And so he wrote a book about all the conversations they had. Little do people know that John Wooden's favorite sport was baseball. And he was, he was uh, offered a chance to sign 
uh, a professional contract in baseball when he was the uh, basketball player at Purdue. In fact, he was offered uh, the managerial position for the Chicago Cubs in his first few years at UCLA. So, um, you know, that was a <laughs> great book. The Cubs people were, are probably wishing that they would have got him because they wouldn't have had to wait so long to get back in the World Series. I, I don't doubt that. So Gary came in and did a great talk. And uh, he's just a really good speaker. And the one thing he said that really hit home was, when you see the pyramid of success, Coach Adams asked Coach Wooden, and in his last day, he said, if you had a chance to change the pyramid, would you do it? And he said, no, I really thought this out. But he said, the thing I would add is in the mortar along the pyramid blocks, I would put love. So... You know, that to me made uh, made his whole talk just uh, very impactful. Well, thank you for sharing that. And totally off topic, thank you for buying my book, by the way. And, oh, yeah. And, and giving it a uh, a positive review on Amazon. So I do appreciate Enjoyed it. that. I love the Southwest. I well, love the, new, the, uh, the new one is finished. It's just in the revision stage. So I'm. it's still a few months away. We'll see if I get it out before the... Uh, conference in orlando or not oh great well look but, forward to it man on to better things talk about yeah. the any the nedc for a moment which you're part of and uh the recent conference that was held in traverse city uh just weeks ago yeah well we kind of fell into the nedc uh we didn't even know it existed because of our organization doesn't have an executive director per se so um it just happened that we found out information about it. I said, well, what is this? And then we got in touch with Fred Balsamo, who does a lot of the, the legwork, and asked if we could come. So Ralph Trigstad, who's our conference uh, manager, and myself and our executive secretary, who's Ralph's wife, Susan, um, we got a chance to, to go. I think our first one, God, I'm trying to think now, um, where it was. It was before New York and uh, – um, but we've been Minneapolis, there. Maybe Minneapolis or Minneapolis. Maybe that's Virginia. what it was. Uh, no, it was in Milwaukee. Milwaukee. And I think Milwaukee was, uh, I think maybe I was just done being the chair by then. So that, that takes me back a few years. I think so. You were still, uh, you know, the coaching the, the women's football league. <laughs> that, that time. Um, that's right. There you go. That's, so, that's um, another story. So we went there to, to get our questions answered. When you only work with your conference, you only think you have problems or issues <laughs> or, or procedures that could be made better. How do you make a better conference for your, your people? And when we went there, we started asking questions, just like I talked about with new ADs. We wanted to know, how do you handle tickets? How do you handle banquet no-shows? Who are your speakers? I, I ran the gamut. And uh, every executive director we talked to was more than forthcoming with information and really friendly. And so we've been involved every year since then and uh, really make it a priority to be there because um, the valuable information has helped our conference get better every year. So we're keeping our fingers crossed that we can, we can keep doing that for our athletic directors in our state. Let me add this observation and see if you agree with this, Ray. And I think it would be true for many people at the national conference. But 
as much learning as goes on in those general sessions for the two and a half days that we're together, I think that there's probably an equal amount of learning that happens during breakfast, during lunch, and uh, while we're on the beach eating dinner or on the boat eating dinner or whatever. I, I, I just think that uh, you that out of the room camaraderie and, and that sharing has really helped, I think, all of our state associations. And uh, what's your take on that? Well, absolutely, no doubt. Um, the, the things that, that the executive directors share um, are really special. And what I really like is watching the demeanor of each executive director. You know, I've become, I think, a better uh, committee member and chairperson because of the way I watch them. And uh, we have some really strong female executive directors that, that just uh, are a wealth of knowledge. But, you know, they don't project, here I am, you know, look at me, here's what I know. It's, it's really unassuming. And uh, that's the part I like the best because they're not going to tell you how to do things. And when you ask them, they're going to say, well, here's what we did and here's why, you know, so we can take that. And, uh, you know, if you use it and it works, the old saying is then you take it as yours. If you use it and it doesn't work, you blame the person you got it from. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Thanks for sharing that. Let me uh, finish with a couple of questions. The first being, I need Ray Moore's two suggestions for a brand new AD, and they need to follow Ray's suggestions in order to be a success. What would your two suggestions be? Gosh, there's a lot of them. Um, I think the, the goal is make it past five years. There's <laughs> so many in our state that, that change over. We have a 30% uh, turnover every year, it seems now recently. Remember, it's a long-term job. You're not going to get everything accomplished the first year. Set some basic goals. Um, with that in mind, I think you find out your principal's vision. What is his or her vision for your school? You know, and then you build on that. Then find, and Tom Danley told me this, there are people on campus that are going to work for you and, and be in your corner. There are also people that don't think athletics is important. So you've got you've to find a way to neutralize those people and get the people you trust in and make it, when you make a decision, don't make it because you're the athletic director and you said so. Make it because you've, you've already run this by your trusted coaching staff and they've given you their okay or suggestions. And so it's not your idea, you know? Great, great I, I think I think, too, if you're coming from the ranks of that school and you've been a coach, that's a challenge. You know, mm -hmm. you're going to – now you've gone to a different spot, and um, you will have uh, conversations stop when you walk into the room among the coaches because you're now the administrator involved, you know? Um, just understand that and, and, you know, handle it well. And the other item I would say is, as I learned early, there are some days you got to close the door and leave the, leave the room, drive home. Don't let your family suffer because 
you, it's a constant 24 hour uh, job sometimes. I always had our, we had a son and daughter and they're older now, but I always had them at the, at the school. It's a great sure. place for them to grow up. In fact, the, the athletes that I had 50 years ago still ask about our daughter and son thinking they're eight and six, you know, I said, you know, they've got, you know, kids of their own. And, oh my God. I said, well, you know, you guys have gotten a little older too. So yeah. it's a great place. My wife was always uh, one. She would adopt teams and want to know and go to all the games for the girls basketball. For example, she was always there. You know, she loved that stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, I think making it part of the part of your family will really be helpful. Great advice. Let's finish with this, Ray. What questions should I have asked you that I failed to ask you? Um, you know, Mark, I, I think you've covered the gamut, but I, I would say that athletic directors need to develop based on their school. What's your philosophy? Shouldn't you, your philosophy be in some form or fashion, let's be the, the best high school in this state. Let's be the best high school in this nation. Aren't you as a coach, as a head coach, don't you want to win the state championship? Shouldn't you do that as an athletic director and apply for every award for the school that you can think of? You know, that's what I started doing when we opened Vista Murrieta. And the, one of the reasons was I wasn't sure we were in a tough league that we'd ever win a league championship in anything. So I wanted us to be academically sound. We could win an academic championship. We could win a school of character award. We could be the most spirited school in the nation. And then we put up banners for that. We may never win a league championship. And luckily we, we, you know, won our share, but, uh, you keep doing that. And the other thing it does, it helps neutralize those naysayers, you know, at the school and you come up with your own personal philosophy. And as, as an AD, I, I have one that I read, I got years ago and I think you'll appreciate this. It's called, if everyone could be like an offensive lineman. And this was a philosophy as an athletic director, I felt I, I was in the role of the offensive line, you know, and they had four items. They don't need any attention or their name or in the paper or spotlight. Number two, success requires all five working as one. So your coaching staff's got to be on the same page. Number three, all they worry about is doing their job well. And the final thing, number four, and the sole purpose of their job is to make others successful. Well, I couldn't have said that better myself. And on that note, that wraps it up for this edition of the UI AAA Connection. Again, our guest today has been Ray Moore, Certified Master Athletic Administrator and the Conference Program Chair for the California State Athletic Directors Association. Ray, thank you so much for being on the program today. Touch my pleasure. Thank you very much. For our listeners, we hope you tune in again next week for another edition of the UI AAA Connection.